Well, good morning, Eastview. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Josh Jacobs, and I'm the pastor of Young Adults here at Eastview. I've been on staff for about five years now, starting off our junior high ministry. Now I get the blessing of serving with our young adults. And I just want to take a quick moment to say, give a shout out to the Bloomington campus. So much love for you guys. I know you're watching live right now, and I can't wait to hang out with you guys again soon. Well, church family, if you'll let me for just a moment, I wanna share briefly about some of the things that God has been doing in our young adult ministry. There is revival happening amongst young people in our county, that God is doing incredible things. There's been exponential growth of young adults who are coming back to their faith after a college experience, or they're coming to know Jesus for the first time through young adult gatherings and small groups and events, and it's just clear that God's hand continues to be on this next generation. And so if I could be so bold to ask you, would you join me in praying for our young adult community this week? And would you pray for the young adults in our county that God would continue to do a good work amongst young people in this area? And if I could also be so bold, ask God to lay upon your hearts the names of young adults that you know that may just be an invitation away from community that may be ready this week to have a faith conversation. I can't tell you the amount of young adults who have come into our ministry because of a conversation they had with a coworker, a family friend, someone from what, someone just saw them where they were at in life and valued them and invited them into what Jesus is doing. Well, Jason talked about earlier, we're continuing in our refocus series. We're dealing with this question of who are we becoming as God's people? As followers of Jesus, who do we want to be defined as now, tomorrow, and for years to come? And so Zach began this series talking about the greatness of God. That the God who created and sustains the whole universe, when we put that into perspective of who God is, it makes it a lot easier for us to put into perspective the things of our lives. That there's a God who created and sustains the universe and at the same time is intimately involved with every detail of your life. And then Ben continued with the grace of God. That for how holy and righteous God is, he loves us so much that he put on flesh and bone and dwelt among us and he died and raised from the graves so that you and I could enter into eternal life. And he didn't stop there. When his physical body left this earth, Jesus left us his spirit to live within us and then he left us one another he left us his body, the church, that we collectively would continue the work that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on earth, and we would continue to see the love of God permeate this world, that even the gates of hell cannot stand against what Jesus has for his church. Amen? If you're not fired up about that already, you got to go back and watch Zach and Ben's sermons. But this week, we're going to be continuing in Ephesians chapter 4. It's our centering text for this series. And I believe Paul continues to have a word. He had a word for the church in Ephesus, and he's a word for you and I today that I believe is critical for you and I as we refocus on God and who we are becoming in him. So if you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 1, I therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Lord Jesus, we already know that you're in this space. So continue to speak to us through musical worship, through your word, through the taking of communion. As your body today, God, remind us of who we are in you. Remind us of how loved we are by you. And out of the overflow of our love for you and by you, that we would love one another and we would experience authentic community in your name. Amen. Well, something you may notice about this series is that we continue to shrink the scope down, right? We started with the greatness of God, and then we shrunk it down a little bit to the grace of God, and then we shrunk it down even further to the church, and now Paul is shrinking it down even more here to our relationships with one another, This phrase that Paul uses in verse two, we're gonna keep coming back to throughout the sermon. It's one another. One another is a phrase that we find over 100 times in the New Testament, and it deals directly with how we should treat fellow Christ followers. The one of the major themes you'll find in Jesus' teachings and in the New Testament writers' words to the early church revolves around how we should live in community with one another. And Ben emphasized last week that the church is not just a building or an organization. It's first and foremost the people of God. And Scripture would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. It's why Scripture puts so much emphasis on our interactions with one another. You find far less in Scripture about prescriptions of how the church should function or how it should be governed and all of the logistics side of things. The writers of the New Testament and Jesus cared way more about how we treat one another that we are the body of Christ. And don't get me wrong here, there's so much to talk about and celebrate when it comes to God's design for the bigger church and the power of what God can do through a large group of people. Last week we watched a video about so many of you that participate in Eastview Kids loving on the next generation and the current church of Christ's followers. And this past weekend, hundreds of fourth and fifth graders are in this space worshiping the Lord together. That is a powerful thing. And then, yes, superstar. We also talked about the financial generosity of this church and how God has done some incredible things in Kenya through Goya or on the college campuses of this town through Encounter. We can make video after video or tell story after story of the things that God is doing through the big C church in this county and across the globe, and it's good and it's holy for us to celebrate those things. But what if we stopped there? What if as a follower of Jesus, I didn't take that next step into community? What if my engagement with the body of Christ began and ended with sitting in the rows on a Sunday or giving a little bit of my time and my treasure to what God is doing? What would I miss out on? You see, the problem with stopping at large is that we begin to treat the body of Christ like any other organization or institution rather than a collection of individual followers of Jesus who deeply need to bear with one another in love. 
It's what separates us from the world. We miss out on being with other people who need to experience the transformative work of God in their hearts through interactions with other Holy Spirit-filled people. We miss out on God's perfect design for his greatest creation if we don't enter into community. The problem with stopping at large is that God oftentimes does his most transformative work in smaller spaces that you and I were not wired to remain in the crowds, that Jesus' call was always into more intimate relationships. Maybe you've heard of this before, but there's this British anthropologist named Robin Dunbar who coined this idea of Dunbar's number, and you can see it on the screen, a visual of it. Dunbar concluded that our brains can only handle social networks of about 150 people. So on average, you and I can only maintain a casual friendship with 150 people at one time. My mom works over at State Farm and she hasn't done this in a while, but every once in a while she'd run into someone at work and uh, they, used to, they would have gone to the high school I went to and so she would ask me like, hey Josh, do you know this person? And most of the time I would say no and I think it really surprised her. But I just went to high school just down the road at normal community and so my graduating class was like 600 people and then that meant the whole school was like over 2,000 people it just wasn't possible for me to know every single person a part of it. We're all Ironmen. We all went to normal community, but I didn't know every person. It's not humanly possible. We can recognize names or faces, but it's not the same thing as having a relationship with them. And as Dunbar shrunk that number from 150 to 50 to 15 into five, he saw that there were more investment in those relationships that it was possible to have like 50 acquaintances and 15 people you have strong bonds with and then about like five people in the world that you can be closer to than anyone else. And that all makes sense, right? It's not possible to be best friends with 150 people. Even the most extroverted people in the room can't be close to 50 people. God wired you and I to be a part of a larger body, but he also created you and I with limitations, that you and I deeply need to be connected to other people, that you and I cannot sustain a life that just remains in the crowds. We need to find our people. We need to find our community. And we don't have to look very hard at Jesus' life to see him modeling that himself, right? When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he wasn't a stranger to the crowds. He performed miracles with thousands of people in his midst. Thousands of people would follow him from place to place. But the central part of Jesus' three-year ministry was the time he spent with his 12. The time he spent with his disciples. That for all of the sermons and the teachings that Jesus gave, his greatest sermon was the life he lived with his people. Think back to Mark chapter one, when Jesus first began his earthly ministry, he didn't start out by inviting a bunch of people to listen to him preach and teach once a week. He didn't go out into the crowds and start a huge movement at once. Instead, he walked up to 12 ordinary guys with a simple yet life-changing invitation, come and follow me. The gospels are a small group story. The early church was made up of thousands of people who were doing life together in smaller communities. And as a church family, if we wanna refocus on who God is and who he's calling us to become, we have to grow smaller. And growing smaller isn't the, it doesn't mean we're shrinking the size of our church, we're not kicking you out. 
It doesn't mean ending the amazing things that God is able to accomplish through a large body of believers. It means growing smaller means you and I need to be intimately connected with other believers so that we can see God do his greatest work of transforming you and I from the inside out that we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones, get real and get honest with other Christ followers in this room. If you've been around Eastview for a while or spent any time in Christian community, uh, the language of small groups is something that you're probably very familiar with. And much like the word church last week, small groups probably has a different meaning to a lot of us. Some of us in this room have been in a small group or are in a small group, and it's been such a life-giving experience. You wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. But other of us have tried the whole small groups thing out before, but it's not really as cut out as everyone says it is. You didn't find the life-changing relationships that people promised you would have in smaller community. Or maybe your experience has been somewhere in between. And so can I ask, in this conversation we're having today, can we hold our preconceptions and preconceived notions about small groups loosely today? And instead, can we hold up the value of community? Because the vehicle of small groups is just a means to the value. Being in a small group is not the end goal. The end goal is experiencing authentic community. And in our experience here at Eastview, that's best done in the context of small groups. Let's get back to the text here, because I think if Paul talks about this here in Ephesians 4, he says, you and I are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I'm guessing there's some of you that read that or hear that, and you shake your head a little bit because that's been the furthest from your experience with Christian community. That when you've been in a small group before or you've done a discipling thing or you've had a mentor, you didn't feel like you experienced that kind of love or that kind of care. And if that's been your experience with Christian community before, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. It breaks my heart to know there are followers of Jesus, there's people in this world who have been turned away from authentic community because of experiences they've had with other Christians. And I know it breaks God's heart even more. That God's heart for us is to feel seen and safe and connected to the body of Christ. And I believe one of the tactics of the enemy is to make us believe we don't need each other that I can follow Jesus on my own, that I can do this life without other people, that I don't need to walk with other people, that I can come in and out of spaces like this and that's all I need. I don't need to truly open up my home or my life to other followers of Jesus. And church, I just wanna reiterate one of the greatest gifts of God is friendship. One of the greatest gifts from God is the ability that we get to one another, people who truly care about one another, people who are humble and patient and gentle toward us, who desire to build us up in love, who have our best intentions in mind, people who pray for us, study God's word with us, people that we can call and text at any time when we need support. That's what you're supposed to find here. That is God's heart for you. And if we want to experience all that God has for us this year, it requires us entering into those kind of relationships. 
But you and I know that when things grow smaller, things also get messy. There's a phrase from our text again today I want to draw our attention back to. One, another. I told you earlier, it's used over 100 times in the New Testament, but there's actually at least 40 different unique commands of how to one another. You've probably heard of many of these before. Love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, care for one another, meet with one another, be patient with one another, live at peace with one another, comfort one another, and so on and so on. And if something's repeated over 100 times in Scripture, it means it's important. We should draw our attention to it. One anothering is the way of Jesus. He created you and I to one another, one another. It's who we are as God's people, and we cannot abandon that calling from him. And yet growing smaller, being real, authentic relationships, it requires getting messy. It's not an easy thing to do right? It's not easy to put yourself out there and to meet new people and to get integrated into community. It gets messy when we're forced to look at the brokenness of our own lives and share it with other people. It's messy to talk about the trials we're going through at home. It's messy to talk about my marriage. It's messy to talk about the family issues you're going through. It's messy to talk about mental health struggles or to be open and honest with the struggles you're feeling inside. It's messy to be open up about addictions or the things you keep running back to over and over and over again. It's messy to deal with people who are just as broken as we are and need to navigate relationships with them. It's messy, and it's messy to stick things out, to push through the tension and the awkward moments to experience real relationship with someone else. Life is messy, and yet Jesus' path toward restoring relationship with us was coming down and entering into our mess in inviting us into relationship with him and with one another. And that's what one anothering is all about, entering into the mess of someone else's life and allowing the power of God to transform you and the other person from the inside out when we're a community of people who one another, one another. One anothering is messy and it's not always easy, but it's the way of Jesus and he showed you and I that it's the best way to live. That to Jesus, it wasn't a fantasy land to believe that people filled with his spirit could actually love one another. That people who choose to follow Jesus and put one another first, that we can actually do that. Jesus believed you and I could forgive one another like he has forgiven us. Jesus believed in you. He had patience for you. He believed you could live at peace with one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, bear with one another's burdens and messiness of life. Jesus believed we could one another one another. Jesus had full confidence that we could be the kind of church who loves one another like that. Authentic community is not just a utopian idea that it can only be experienced on the other side of eternity. Authentic community is the way of Jesus, and it's the evidence of the kingdom of God at hand. And when followers of Jesus are able to cultivate that, it has the power to transform lives. I didn't grow up in the church. I attended every once in a while. I went to some of the church camps. I'd sign up for small groups, but I didn't really make it a priority in my life. And then about my sophomore year of high school, I got my license and I decided uh, I had an invitation from someone at school just to come check out their small group. And so I picked up my best friend, Derek, and we drove to James's house and we rolled up with 30 sweaty sophomore guys hanging out (laughs) in the driveway. And I was reflecting on that experience with my small group this past week. 
And no one, when I got out of the car, shared the gospel with me. No one told me who Jesus was and what he had done for me. I already knew that anyways. No one had to preach a sermon to me that day. No one had to convince me to be there. When I walked into that space, I experienced the gospel. I experienced what Jesus said and what he meant when I could find life and life to the full. I found a group of people who saw me, who felt like I mattered. I felt like I had purpose and I felt like I belonged with those guys. So I think of the leaders, Stuart and Rich and Craig. I think of the guys, Cooper and James and Brett and Micah and Clayton and Preston and Jacob and Max and Blaze and Kyle and so many others who one anothered me in a way that the gospel became real. That I saw Jesus through the way that those guys loved one another and loved me. Church, I'm standing here today as evidence of the power of community. And I equally believe that God's power and transformative work is just as available to you as it was to me and the countless people in this room whose lives have been changed by authentic community. That Jesus wants to do a good work in you. Now, these kind of relationships, they don't just magically happen. They require effort and a whole lot of help from the Holy Spirit to happen. But there's two specific one-anothering actions I want to draw our attention to that I believe really help cultivate this kind of authentic community, and it's trust and vulnerability. That if you're going to experience a deep sense of belonging and transformation, you have to begin to trust the people around you. And trust, it's a messy thing, right? It's easier to lose than it is to build. Trust oftentimes requires time. It doesn't happen overnight. It requires a safe space. You need to be able to see the people around you as trustworthy before you can trust them. And I think John gets at this in 1 John, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice the words here. Not if we walk according to the light, not if, we're not, not if we're perfect. John says, if we walk in the light, if we walk with an openness and, and receptiveness to what God is doing in my heart, and we walk with other people who are open and honest and ready to receive what God has for them, then I believe we can trust one another because we have the same spirit of God that lives within us. And we're both chasing after Jesus together. We need to find spaces with other followers of Jesus who think and live in that way. But we also have to be vulnerable with one another. If we're gonna experience this belonging and transformation, we actually have to get real with one another, not living with masks on and acting like everything is okay. We have to be able to open up our hearts and our souls to one another and let each other see the real and raw parts of our being. James gets at this in 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has the great power as it is working. The spirit of God does incredible things when followers of Jesus are honest with one another about their brokenness. That followers of Jesus have a really bad habit of acting like everything is okay. And as we answer the question of who are we becoming, I hope that we're the kind of church and we become the kind of church family in the near future that can raise our hand and tell one another when we're not okay. Trust and vulnerability are hard. And honestly, it's hard to have one without the other. 
Trust breeds vulnerability, and vulnerability breeds trust. And when both are present, real life change occurs. I don't have enough time to share specific stories, but there is incredible life change happening through groups of people who trust each other and are vulnerable with each other through our peer desire groups and at Celebrate Recovery that there are men and women who are overcoming chains of addiction, that are overcoming generational trauma and sin and are finding the gospel to be real, that they're embracing all Jesus has for them, that they're doing this with one another, that they're opening their hearts and their souls and they're bearing their souls to one another. And God is doing a deep healing and a deep work in the men and women in those ministries. And I'm sure that kind of stuff is continuing to happen in small groups all throughout this church. And it's exactly what the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near. In my experience and the experience of our church, more often than not, our deepest spiritual formation happens in smaller spaces. If we neglect to meet with one another, if we neglect to do life together, we miss out on the stirring up and the encouraging and the transforming that my life has seen, that lives have seen through pure desire groups and transformed in celebrate recovery that may have transformed your life through a small group or a discipleship experience and continues to offer power to you and I in our walk with Jesus. None of us graduate from needing community. Our walks with Jesus require us to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to help us be formed into his image. God can do incredible things through a sermon. God can do incredible things through a worship experience. God does incredible things through a larger body of believers, but his deepest work tends to happen in those one-on-one conversations and in those small group experiences where we get real, we get vulnerable, and we are honest about the things that God is digging up in our hearts, the hurt and the pain and the sin in our hearts so that we can have a heartbeat like Jesus. Can I offer to us today two spaces where I think this kind of formation happens? The first is around tables or circles. One of the best teaching or some of the best teachings and information I've ever received from about Jesus or from Jesus have happened through sermons, but the deepest work of my soul has happened around a table. It's happened when followers of Jesus are surrounding me. It's where Jesus did the majority of his ministry as well. He sat at tables with sinners and tax collectors and the least of these in society. He offered a seat at the table. He offered relationship to those who thought they could never have it. Jesus desired that kind of love for us and he modeled it in the upper room with his closest friends. That as Jesus' hour neared, He decided to spend it with the 12 people in his life he loved most. And they ate together and they talked with one another and they looked at each other in the eyes to show them how much he loved them. Jesus desired that kind of relationship with us and he desires that kind of relationship for one another. What if you and I refocus this year on sitting in circles What if you and I refocus on not just sitting in the rows on a Sunday morning, but getting into the real and the honest with one another, doing life together, 
Some of the deepest work of your life will happen around a table or a circle, and there is an open invitation this morning to be a part of that. The second space I believe Jesus does a lot of that transformative work is in the margins. If I ask you at the end of your life, some of the most significant moments in your faith journey, they're not as likely gonna be a sermon on a Sunday as they are a phone call or a text from a friend you got in a time of need. It might be that person who showed up from you from your small group when you lost a loved one. It'll be that group of people who used to meet with you weekly that started a meal train for you when you were sick. It'll be those lingering conversations in the atrium or the parking lot where someone was checking in on how you're really doing. It's the people who meet us in the margins of life who have the greatest impact. Relationships happen in the margins. You only get so close to someone when you give them an hour of your week or a fraction of your time that you schedule in. We need to be a kind of people who have margin for relationships. Our schedules and overly busy lives often get in the way of us. Most of us want to be authentic, in authentic community, intimately connected to one another, but then we look at our schedules and we have work and time for the gym and practices or games for our kids or honestly some doom scrolling on our phones or running errands, etc., etc. We just don't have enough margin in our schedules oftentimes for those impactful relational moments. Who are we becoming as a church? I hope we're becoming the kind of church who makes time for one another, who is with one another, who literally does life with one another and seeing what God does in the midst of that. Growing smaller around tables, growing smaller together in the margins. None of that is meant to be a checklist of things that we need to do to be a good disciple or to earn God's love. The point of growing smaller is that it draws us closer to Jesus. That we can experience, when we create spaces to have deep and meaningful relationships, we can experience the deep formation that God wants to do in your hearts. God meets us in the spaces and he teaches us more about him and we grow in our love for him that we truly experience the good news of the kingdom of God when we live as citizens of heaven right now. Church, if we truly begin to believe and to live out the truth that God gave us one another as an act of grace and that we get to experience more and more of him when we deepen our love for one another, I think it's safe to say that we're gonna become a church that looks more and more like Jesus with each passing day. And ultimately, the world will begin to see Jesus through the way that we have loved one another. Jesus, in that open or that upper room experience with his closest friends, he shares one of the most profound truths, I think, in all of Scripture about how we love one another. In John 13, 35, Jesus tells this to his closest friends. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you have love for one another. By this, by this, all people will know that we are disciples of Jesus, that the power of authentic community is that the world can see that God is doing a good work through his people, that followers of Jesus who deeply love one another have the power to point other people to Jesus, that the world needs more examples of people loving each other The world desperately needs followers of Jesus to prove that Jesus is the kind of God who is full of love for his people and out of that response of his love, we love one another. 
And if you take anything away from today, I hope it's this moment right now that you are deeply loved by God and that he loves you so much that he's inviting you to participate in the kingdom of God right now and the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus is together. That the kingdom of God is filled with people who love one another, who one another, one another. That we can be a group of people who engage in deep and meaningful relationships with one another. That through our love for one another and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can actually experience deep healing and restoration that Jesus is offering us. That we can experience that transformation when we grow smaller. That when we finally can be seen and known and loved and valued, when we lay down our pride, when we lay down our masks and we trade that in for trust and vulnerability with our Lord and with one another the more and more our lives look like tables and margins, the more we'll continue down the long path of obedience in the same direction that leads us to transformation. That as we grow in our capacity to love one another, the world is gonna look at people like this and they're gonna have no other response than to say they must follow Jesus. That they'll see the way we love one another and they'll be like, those people truly believe God has done something for them. And that God loves them like that. And if you're in this room and you're not connected to other followers of Jesus already, can I just remind you of the invitation that Jesus has been giving people for 2,000 years now? Come and follow me. And that invitation to come and follow Jesus isn't a solo journey. It's done in community. It's done with other people. It's the kind of people who want another, one another, to experience the power of one another, to allow other Holy Spirit-filled people to point you to Jesus, and you can point them right back to him. Uh, on the screen, you're gonna see some of my people. Every Wednesday night, my wife Madison and I get to be in community with Camden, Lindsay, Caleb, Jory, Taj, Valencia, Micah, and Maddie. We get to laugh with one another. We get to cry with one another. We get to pray for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, grow with one another, confess to one another, sit with one another, play pickleball with one another, be honest with one another, and ultimately we love one another. And if you're in this room right now and, or you're watching online or you're in the sanctuary of our Bloomington campus, that kind of authentic community is available to you today. That there are thousands of other Christ followers in this church who can be that kind of community for you. But it requires taking a step of faith and getting smaller. It requires identifying who those people are in your life, walking with them, one anothering them. My life was forever changed by a group of guys who one anothered one another. My life has continued to be changed by people in this church who one another one another. Jesus is still forming and shaping me. He's still forming and shaping you. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that we are the kind of church who's not just defined by our branding or the things that we're able to accomplish and do, but we're defined by
by the way, we love one another.